Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week we come to you and prepare you with the information that you'll need to fight for your health care freedom. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the sponsor of the Doctor's Lounge, and the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is a non-for-profit 501c3 organization. That means it's a charitable organization, and we are the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country that is run entirely by practicing doctors. So we know what we're talking about when it comes to the uh, practice of medicine, the delivery of healthcare to patients. We know about the business of medicine, and we're experts in healthcare policy and healthcare politics. We're all about the doctor-patient relationship, and we're about preserving health care freedom for every American so that you can go out and decide what's best for you and your family. So please go to our website, www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org, or if you want to go and use the initials, it's d4pcfoundation.org. And please contribute generously so that we can continue to do the hard work, the heavy lifting that we do to uh, help fight for you. Today, I decided during the uh, beginning of the week that, uh, well, today at beginning of the week, that's a, a non sequitur, but, but I, I, today I'm doing a different kind of format than I typically do. Um, I love having guests on the show every week. I think that it really uh, helps with the repartee, but what I wanted to do today is a little different because um, I had the uh, pleasure this week to uh, catch up with a good friend of mine who is um, a, uh, a congressman in the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Congress, and uh, we talked about health care and what the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was doing. And we uh, uh, caught up about... Uh, different uh, things in healthcare since the last time that we had the opportunity to sit down. I went through the projects that we were doing as a, uh, a foundation. These are things that you've heard about on this show over and over and over again. We talked about direct primary care. We talked about uh, um, the certificate of need laws. We talked about uh, the... Uh, state initiatives that we are undertaking to try to make changes so that these very basic issues, these very basic concepts can be implemented because they would positively impact healthcare for everybody. And what really jumped out at me, the the uh, the aha moment for me in that particular exchange was for someone who knew about healthcare as much as he did, much of what I talked about sort of uh, was uh, new to him, and uh, or he didn't consider. And when I put everything together and laid it out as part of a comprehensive plan to change healthcare, the the light went on for him, and the light went on for me too, because I realized things that. We talk about on this show things that the people in Docs for Patient Care Foundation take for granted are um, are are not common um, knowledge to to uh, most people and and not even to people who are 
um, healthcare policy experts or or experts um, in healthcare or doctors, for that matter. You know, when we sit down and talk about issues like direct primary care and talk to an audience of doctors, they don't even get it. They don't even know the difference most of the time until you really lay it out for them. So what I thought that we would do today is take the time to develop these concepts and what really um, crystallized in my mind is that um, yes, we have the Docs for Patient Care Foundation prescription for health care reform. It's on our website. It, it has been discussed on this show ad nauseum. We've talked about, you know, being able to purchase health care across state lines. We've talked about the portability of health care so that when you lose your job, you don't lose your health care. We've We've really developed these concepts and and uh, talked over and over. And many of the candidates running for president today, certainly many of the people who are have run for Senate and for Congress, have adopted these um, very basic and common sense principles. But now we've got Obamacare, and um, and there there is going to be. Uh, some some uh, uh, difficulty in doing what we want to do unless you are Ted Cruz and you say to your constituents what they want to hear, which is that on day one of his presidency, he's going to repeal every single word of Obamacare. Well, you know, as a as a realist, I think that um, this is um, you know at best wishful thinking and uh, we are I'm afraid really stuck with Obamacare it's something that uh, that is going to be you know with us for quite some time I pray that it goes away but I I don't really uh, see it happening so fast and um, in the meantime what has happened is it has uh, destroyed the healthcare market not made it better how has it destroyed the healthcare market well you know it has uh, changed the healthcare insurance industry it's it's um, destroyed the ability for young people for example to go out and purchase um, affordable healthcare plans because they have to buy these uh, uh, one-size-fits-all uh, insurance policies that have everything to all constituencies, and it costs a fortune. Um, it's it's um, Obamacare has resulted in millions of Americans losing their insurance because their insurance, their uh, either their insurance company has dropped them, or the uh, their employers have uh, uh, gotten uh, out of the health care. Uh, business, they stop providing insurance for their for their uh, employees. So what that's done is it's left people um, needing to go out and scramble and find their own insurance policies. Now you, we have the Obamacare healthcare exchanges. That's true, but unless you are a uh, uh, a uh, someone without any means and you can qualify for the Obamacare uh, uh, subsidies, which you can get, you know, as long as as you make four times the, the poverty level, um, then, uh, then you uh, are, are okay. But if you um, are 
making a hundred thousand dollars. You know, you're a two-income family, uh, uh, a policeman, and a teacher, and uh, you're making a hundred and twenty-five, a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. You're stuck. I mean, in those jobs, you probably do have insurance benefits. But if you are two other professions that don't have those benefits and making that kind of money, you're stuck. You have to go out and you have to find an insurance policy. And good luck finding a an affordable plan. Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, just uh, this week about uh, a, uh, I, th- I believe it was a college uh, professor who uh, who uh, was uh, talking about the uh, insurance premiums going up 40%, the family uh, plan um, uh, that he had to uh, uh, purchase on on the exchange was going to wind up costing him approximately, um, I believe it was uh, $1,400 per month, and he had a uh, total of of twelve thousand um, dollars that he was responsible for out of pocket as his uh, deductible. So, so he was in in the hole for close to thirty thousand dollars for health care before any insurance uh, benefits kicked in. This is what's happening to millions of Americans. We've transferred um, care or health insurance not care, health insurance from people who had it before to people who didn't have it, who were poor. And we've substituted the uninsured with the poor people who didn't have insurance. And uh, and now those uninsured are the people who have jobs who are the working poor as far as insurance is concerned. They just can't afford it. So so the Obamacare has, has really hurt um, tens of millions of people. And the costs are being shifted. The costs are being shifted to patients, which is not entirely a bad thing because before with third-party payers, there were there was no accountability. Nobody had skin in the game. And in order to make good economic choices, to make the best decisions about what value is, you have to have some skin in the game, which unfortunately up to this point very few people have had. But when... Patients are being asked to assume more and more responsibility for the payment of their health care. You've got to give those people choices. And right now, they don't have any choices. There are no options. Their only option is to go ahead and get that care in hospitals or in places where there's absolutely no price transparency. There's no market forces. And with, when people are getting those their care in the hospital, that's the most expensive place in the healthcare delivery system to receive that care. So so it's 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 really um, uh, pretty obvious that if you are going to uh, force people to have skin in the game, to make them assume more of the of the financial burden for their health care, you have to give them a choice. You have to give them some way that they can shop and they can com- and they can compare prices against the costliest place in the health care delivery system, the hospital, where health care costs 
are anywhere from five to ten times more than it would be in a market-driven uh, um, facility. And so, so these are this with this as the backdrop. I um, it became clear to me that what we were talking about at my uh, at my lunch with with my buddy in Congress. Um, was the modification of the docs for patient care prescription for healthcare reform. So the things that we're doing, the, the work that we're undertaking on direct primary care and on CON reform and to a lesser extent on IT reform, on, uh, on tort reform, this is all the framework, the foundation for the modified Docs for Patient Care Foundation Prescription for Healthcare Reform. Now, in in uh, trying to get any plan through, what was really clear to me, and I think probably to to a lot of people, is that if we're going to come up with a plan that people are going to embrace, it really does need to be bipartisan. It just has to be. Any attempt to force a healthcare solution down the throats of people who don't agree with the things that we're saying is no better than the people who shoved Obamacare down our throats. And it is, in order for this to be supported, it's got to be, um, it's got to look good to everybody. And the things that we are talking about will appeal to everybody. That's the beauty of what we're dealing with, with direct primary care and CON repeal. This becomes the obvious pathway to reforming health care and becomes the uh, crux of, the, of the, the foundation, if you will, of the modified docs for patient care foundation, prescription for health care reform, which we will elaborate on when we get back to you in the doctor's lounge in the next break. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and today's show is talking about the Modified Docs for Patient Care Foundation Prescription for Healthcare Reform, which I have been working on along with my colleagues at the Docs for Patient Care Foundation without really thinking about the fact that in doing the uh, uh, the projects and in, in taking on the initiatives that we've taken on, we have inadvertently um, backdoored our way into the modified plan, which which is uh, so obvious that um, that it it uh, it's it's really amazing that nobody's really put this all together. So let's get right to it. First of all. I think that the crux of what we're talking about is it, it, it sits with primary care. Most care that's delivered to patients is in the form of primary care. You get your basic care from a doctor. If a patient has a regular doctor, the likelihood that they'll be healthier is increased. That's obvious. And the amount of emergency or urgent care that a patient with a regular doctor will seek will decrease and uh, patients will have options other than using the emergency room or an urgent care center when they have a regular doctor to go to. When that happens, the cost for the entire health care episode, for the entire health care system, has to go down. It will go down when they're getting their care at less costlier places. And it will go down when people are being made healthier because they're receiving regular care at the best place to deliver it, which is with their regular doctor. So the best way to make this happen, we believe in our foundation, is via direct primary care. Now, here's, here's epiphany number one for me. And this is not a pun um, because we've talked about the Epiphany Healthcare um, uh, practice of Dr. Lee Gross, one of our um, very, very good colleagues, the president of the foundation, who created one of the early direct primary care uh, um, practices called Epiphany Health. But that's the one I know the best. But the Epiphany during my conversation with my um, buddy in Congress um, came when he like so many other people that we've talked to, including physicians, and surprisingly physicians, do not know the difference between concierge practices, direct primary care practices, and cash practices. So I think this is a good time to go through the differences once again so that people recognize the distinctions between them and do not use these terms interchangeably. A cash practice is quite simple. A doctor takes care of a patient, and the patient pays them directly in cash for that particular episode of service. Who gives cash? has cash practices? People like dermatologists often have cash practices, or, um, or plastic surgeons have cash practices, cosmetic surgeons. Some, some primary doctors do. That used to be the way it was back in the good old days. Um, our our uh, um, uh, producer, David Moxley, is sitting here shaking his head because he remembers the good old days. But, um, but that's what a cash practice is. Concierge practice is very different. Concierge practice 
is um, a practice run by a, 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 a primary care doctor, often an internist, who has a clientele um, of patients who are typically uh, insured patients. They have good health insurance. But these typically are more affluent patients. They're wealthier patients. They want better access. They don't want um, to worry that they cannot get into their doctor in a timely fashion. So they're willing to pay a premium for the opportunity to be able to get into their doctor quicker, maybe same day or next day, and, um, and they will have a, a, a uh, 24-7, 365 day a year telephone number to get through to their doctor so that they're constantly in touch with them and they have improved access. And for that luxury, people are willing to pay anywhere from $1,500 to $2,500 in some markets that I'm aware of. That, that fee is sometimes north of $5,000. And um, when a patient in that practice comes into the doctor, they don't pay the doctor anymore. They've already paid that increased subscription fee for that access. But instead, that doctor still charges that patient's insurance for whatever services take place. Very different from direct primary care. So direct primary care is when a patient has an arrangement with a primary care doctor, and these are typically um, family doctors who have engaged in the direct primary care movement. And what the direct primary care doctor does is they charge a monthly premium, a stipend, that the patient pays. They can cancel um, any month that they want. It's a month-to-month um, arrangement usually, but they do sign a one-year ar- agreement that they're going to continue for a year. And in exchange for signing up for a year, the patient is entitled to to a certain number of visits per year. In the case of Epiphany Health, that's 25 visits for that calendar or that that, uh, 12-month subscription period. They're also entitled to a basic um, uh, plan, a basic a basic cafeteria plan of services that comes with that subscription. Basic laboratory tests, blood work, um, an EKG, um, a chest X-ray, things that a typical family doctor has in their office and can can uh, administer. Very often, stress test or mammogram and basic minor uh, procedures. Um, some family doctors do vasectomies. Some family doctors do take off minor minor uh, uh, blemishes on the skin, warts or, or, uh, or cysts. Those are the things that are included in a subscription. The things that are not able to be administered in a direct primary care practice. The direct primary care practice has negotiated with um, with entities in their community, whether it be a radiology, an imaging center, a laboratory for lab studies that that, that doctor can't uh, perform, they negotiate rock bottom cash prices so that patients can get that service outside of the direct primary care arrangement. In the case again of Epiphany Health, 
uh, Dr. Gross is able to negotiate with their imaging center in his community uh, a cost of $150 for a CAT scan, which is 10 times less than it would cost in a competing community hospital. So this is the difference between direct primary care and concierge practices. In addition, the direct primary care doctors have worked with doctors in their community who are specialists so that when they need to see specialty care, they have a a whole panel of doctors who have agreed to take patients from these doctors and have promised to accept rock-bottom cash prices. Why would doctors do that? Because they don't have to bill a patient. They don't have to collect that money. There's zero overhead involved in that transaction. All that's involved is the time that that is involved with the doctor actually giving that health care. And it does not cost a lot of money to do that. All the all the fluff, all the dollars in healthcare have to do with all of the regulatory and all of the administrative and overhead functions that it costs a doctor to continue to keep the lights on in their practice. But if it's just giving care, care is not expensive to give. And that's why in a setting like this, healthcare costs would plummet. They would plunge. And this is why this works. And direct primary care is an idea that's catching fire. Over 4,000 family medicine doctors have transitioned part or all of their practices over to this model. And in fact, the American Association or the American Academy of Family Practice supports this. And they've created seminars to help doctors to transition to this kind of practice. And in fact, their seminars are oversubscribed. Doctors have to pay 600 bucks to come to these seminars, and they are busting at the seams because this works. Doctors get it. They want this because it's a lifeline for family doctors, and I'll get into that in a bit. But Docs for Patient Care Foundation also gets it. We see that this model works, and we are putting on a seminar of our own. This is the big meeting that we've talked about on our show, along with the Texas Medical Association and with the Physicians Foundation. We're going to be putting on our own um, seminar, our own meeting with the superstars of direct primary care in Dallas, Texas, October 14th and 15th. Um, so mark your calendars, and, and if you're a family physician or a primary care physician or a physician you know that just wants to uh, hear about this, make plans to come. There will be uh, very, very shortly information about this on our website and on CERMO and some of the other places where we uh, exchange information. So direct primary care is great for patients. It's It gives them a predictable doctor. It gives them better care, although that has not yet been proven with controlled studies. But how could it not give them better care? They, they come to a doctor on a regular basis whenever they need it instead of getting um, fragmented, um, inconsistent care in emergency rooms or, or urgent care centers. And it's lower cost, for crying out loud. The, the, the doctors who participate in direct primary care practices charge anywhere from $55 to $120 per month. 
they so that means that for less than it costs somebody to pay for their monthly cell phone bill they can have a regular doctor and they will have predictability in their life and it's good for doctors there's no hassle with insurance it has a predictable income stream this is why the american academy of family practice is supporting this it it um will resurrect the primary care um field at a time when in medical school young doctors are are saying family practice are you kidding me they're 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 that's the worst field to go into well that won't no longer be the case and this is coming at a time when family practice is being challenged by um, retail medicine like cvs or by physician extenders being able to set up their own practices because some states let them this will breathe new life into family practice and it will let patients have a a board-certified doctor who is uh, able to take care of them consistently. And so this is, I'm going to get further into the direct primary care part of this um, uh, revised prescription for healthcare in America when we get back to the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Today's show is a special show because we are laying out the modified Docs for Patient Care Foundation plan for healthcare reform. And um, this this uh, epiphany, if you will, this this vision, really uh, is not a vision at all. It's just crystallizing together and and um, and uh, cobbling together all of the projects, all of the initiatives that we've done, and putting it together. And when you put it together, you just see that bright light shine on this being the the pathway to fixing healthcare, and um, and. The um, the opportunity that I had the other day to talk about this with one of our uh, uh, friends in in Congress, um, he got it when when I put this all together. So I felt like this was an important uh, um, 
uh, moment and uh, something to share with our audience. Unfortunately, this is not a call-in show, but I have uh, uh, listeners out there who can uh, uh, tweet me or text me, or I have a producer here who is uh, very well schooled on on uh, healthcare and has has uh, sent questions to me. So let me just address a couple of things before I go on. One of the questions was age. Is there any age limit? And the answer is no. In a direct primary care practice, they'll see any patient any age, even the sickest ones. And I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. Um, but in Dr. Gross's experience, um, somebody, uh, they criticized him because they said, well, surely, you know, you're, you're um, picking out the healthiest patients and you're not taking care of sick ones. And he is fast to uh, to counter them by saying that some of the sickest patients that he's seen are ones who have subscribed to his direct primary care um, uh, program. He has not completely uh, changed his practice over to direct primary care, although I know he would if he had a chance to. He's transitioned a good part of his practice to that. And it's interesting because the doctors who do this um, transition, uh, who are transitioning, they will see um, a small percentage of their practice being direct primary care, but it contributes the largest part of their revenues. And so this, they're loving this because, again, it gives them predictability. They don't have the overhead of the third-party reimbursement system to struggle with when they're doing something like this. But in the case of Dr. Gross and Epiphany Health, some of his patients had not gone to a doctor in years. And uh, now, with the predictability of having a doctor, he, as well as many of the pr- uh, direct primary care practices, um, they are seeing patients who have been out of the healthcare system for years. Um, uh, David Moxley, our producer, asked me about uh, drugs. What happens to drugs? Because that's you know the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. And um, some of the uh, the um, direct primary care practices actually buy drugs in bulk and they give them to their patients. It's part of the subscription fee. And um, and many. Um, practices have been able to uh, work on uh, cut rate deals with pharmacies to get them the the most inexpensive uh, prescriptions for drugs that they are either unable to carry or, or that they, they're not in the drug dispensing business. And so another question that came through is what happens when patient exceeds 25 visits? Well, in in the case of Epiphany Health, there is a very modest um, uh, fee, much, much uh, less expensive than currently exists in the third-party payment system for overage. And so that's spelled out in the uh, agreement with the patient when they sign up. So this this system is good for patients it's great for doctors but it's also great for the healthcare system and so let me mis- dispel the myth that this system is only good for the wealthy because this is something that people have very um, infrequently thought of. But when you put what I'm going to tell you in the context of what I'll be saying, this makes perfect sense. The assumption has to be made that Medicaid is not going away. It's just not. But the costs of Medicaid are killing state budgets. 
and states are caving in one by one. They're expanding their Medicaid coverage. They're giving in to the pressures that are being put on them by the hospitals or by their constituencies. So, so Medicaid is killing the states. And as it currently stands, Medicaid recipients receive the absolute worst health care in the entire health care delivery system. Fewer doctors accept it, and patients can't find a doctor. They're getting fragmented, inconsistent care, and they're suffering the worst outcomes of anyone in the healthcare system, and that's been shown in several well-controlled studies. And states are hemorrhaging because of Medicaid costs, with little to show for it. Let's take Georgia, for example. Georgia pays over $6,000 per Medicaid recipient. And actually, when you look at the the statistics that are out there on the range of costs for the state per Medicaid recipient, that range goes from anywhere from $4,000 per Medicaid recipient to as much as $9,500 per Medicaid recipient. And this is just unsustainable, and they're getting crappy care, with very, you know, for this incredibly large amount of money. Now, imagine, just imagine if every Medicaid patient was given a debit card and it was valid only with a primary care doctor. And each one, each Medicaid recipient had their own doctor. Well, the doctors would love this because they would be able to do what they want to do, which is to take care of patients. And they would be able to consistently take care of patients. And they would have a full practice, and they would have a good income stream. Now, many primary care doctors are busting at the seams, and they currently do have more than full practices. There, some, um, Many of the primary care doctors are, in order to keep the lights on, to pay for their overhead, again, because of the third-party payment system and the over-regulation by government, they're already needing to see between two and 3,000 patients and hire physician extenders and run through 40 to 50 to 60 patients a day in order just to keep above water, keep things going, not to make money just to keep it going and it's getting worse and worse by the day this is why doctors are checking out this is why they are selling their practices to hospitals it's because the the um the, the fact that that doctors can't sustain this anymore is driving them out of private practice and uh, the losers in this are not just the doctors who now have to work for a hospital which now tells them how many patients to see and what kind of care to give, but the losers are the patients because they're no longer getting their care by a doctor who has only their interests in mind. And so so this is this is a a system right now which which would be better off Medicaid would be if these patients had their own doctor. Well, in a direct primary care model like this, everybody wins. Healthcare would be delivered in a more consistent way by doctors who 
um, have a smaller panel of patients. The average direct primary care doctor caps their panel between seven hundred to a thousand patients so they can get in quicker the doctors can spend more time with them and guess what when they're they have more resources to spend they can hire people to help keep their patients healthier they can hire a nurse who will be checking on their patients to make sure that they're taking their medications they can get life coaches to help them to stay healthier and to be on a diet or to make the right um, food choices well when you put it this way when you when you um, put this whole issue in this context who would not support this democrats would certainly support this because Medicaid would be strengthened. They love Medicaid. They love this entitlement. But given as an entitlement run by the government, it just does not work. So Republicans would support this because it's a market-driven solution with block grants to states, with doctors being able to um, see these patients using these debit cards that are good only in their office. So who loses in this situation? Well, the insurance companies lose, that's for sure, because they are increasingly managing these um, these Medicaid programs. Medicaid um, uh, uh, um, HMOs are popping up all over the place, and the states don't want to be in the business of micromanaging, so they give this to the Medicaid uh, the two insurance companies that are creating Medicaid HMOs. And what happens with Medicaid HMO? They figure out ways to give less and less care. And I know, I know this, because 50% of my practice are Medicaid patients. And I know what it's like to deal with these Medicaid HMOs. I have to fight them every single day to get a test done because they will not approve it. And so this is um, going to be a hard Push. It's going to be an upstream fight to uh, fight the uh, the insurance companies. So, what's a roadblock to this? Well, there's some debate as to how this system is classified because the IRS views this as a risk-bearing entity, and so do many state insurance commissioners who are beholden to the insurance lobby. Health and Human Services, HHS, CMS, who administers Medicare and Medicaid, they consider direct primary care a delivery model, and that's exactly right, and not insurance. And so there's some disparity even in government agencies about how to classify this. So it's sort of in limbo. And, um, And so because of this, doctors are a little reluctant to set up these kinds of practices in some states because they don't want the... uh, their, their practice shut down by the insurance commissioner. And when patients don't have the predictability of this being a, a, a delivery system, those patients, not Medicaid now, these are people who are just accessing direct primary care in, in the current system that we have it, they can't use their HSA accounts, their health savings accounts, if the IRS views direct primary care as a risk-bearing entity. So this needs to be clarified. And we've not even discussed the fact that millions have lost their insurance under Obamacare and cannot afford health care. So direct primary care allows individuals to get basic care for less than their monthly phone bill. Now, 17 states have passed direct primary care legislation, and what the federal government can do is they can actually smooth things out so that they can 
um, pass legislation that clarifies what direct primary care is. And we will um, finish up with direct primary care and go to certificate of need in the final segment in today's Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And you're back in the final segment in the doctor's lounge. And we've been talking about the modified doctor patient care foundation plan for health care reform and concentrating a lot on direct primary care, which I'm going to wrap up so that I can get to the next part, which is certificate of need. But the, um, the, the, uh, I, I left off that the federal government can help smooth this out by passing legislation that clarifies direct primary care as a delivery system, not as a risk-bearing entity. Because if they do that, then we don't have to take this state by state to get this passed. Seventeen states have passed legislation that clarifies this, but it would be really important for 50 states to do it. And there are other parts to this plan that we're, Docs for Patient Care Foundation is not directly working on, but are meaningful and important adjuncts to, to transitioning to direct primary care. Like um, these these plans require um, as part of it that everyone who has direct primary care doctor also has a high deductible catastrophic health care plan to cover the things that aren't provided by a direct primary care doctor. And it really doesn't cost a lot for a catastrophic plan. Unfortunately, Obamacare has destroyed that market and that needs to be reinvigorated and uh, allowed to uh, to uh, thrive because it will in the in the uh, tech, in the context of direct primary care practices in order for um, the uh, this to really take root you need to allow people either tax credits or tax deductions so that they can contribute money to their HSAs to their health savings account and pay for this and and uh, um, when when they're able to do this, then they'll they'll um, have more skin in the game, but but they're incentivized to do this 
because they get tax breaks for it. And um, we'll, we can elaborate that in, on that in, in another show. But I want to talk about the next part of this giant overhaul to stop the bleeding on the rising health care costs, and that's um, the certificate of need laws. Um, health care costs are, are going through the roof because health care has been transferred to hospitals. 65% of doctors now work for hospitals. Hospitals are consolidating, and they're forming these giant conglomerates, which um, are really uh, engaged in price fixing. And this should be against the law. This should be a federal um, investigation into this um, under the RICO Act, but but uh, that's the Racketeering Act. But um, under Obamacare, this has been allowed to happen. And under Obamacare, doctors are prohibited to open up new surgery centers that accept Medicare. Um, and costs are five to ten times or greater in the hospital than they would be at a competing facility outside of a hospital. And yet, in spite of all of this, there are certificate of need laws that bar competition. These exist in 36 states. What are certificate of need laws? They're laws that mean that the state has to allow an entity to set up operation before it can do so. And before it can do so, it can be challenged by other entities in that area. So I can't open up, even if I could open up a surgery center, which under Obamacare I can't, but if I could... I would have to petition the state to be allowed to do that, and it could be challenged by the very entities that I would be competing against, the hospitals. They can say that it, they don't want me to, to do that, and so the state would not issue a certificate of need. Well, this is ridiculous. You can see how how impossible that is. It's like if I wanted to open up a hamburger stand, I have to go to McDonald's and Burger King to get permission to do that. This is absurd, and this is why the cost of health care is so god darn high. And, and so I think that you need to understand that patients, again, who are being forced to assume more financial burden for their care are, are, are forced to do so in the hospital. They have no choice. So imagine if you were told that you can only buy your clothes at Neiman Marcus or you can only buy your cars at Ferrari because that's what's happening right now. You're being told that you can only get your health care at the most expensive place that delivers it and that's in the hospital and that's wrong. We need to have choice. We need to have open competition, which is why we need to get rid of certificate of need laws. And that's one of the major um, uh, projects of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. And a central portion of our prescription, our, our modifi- modified prescription for health care reform. Because you, in order to really implement a direct primary care model, you have to have a place for those patients to go to that would be equally low cost and efficient. And and in order for that to happen, for those those entities to thrive, you've got to eliminate certificate of need. Um, politicians who are resistant to choosing um, this pathway, I like to say, are pandering to their special interests to the hospitals and when patient and when politicians don't grasp this or or refuse to 
um, take on these special interests when they're refusing to take on legislation that eliminates certificate of need laws what they're doing is they're choosing the hospitals and those special interests over the needs of their constituents the patients and i think it's very simple i think that there's 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 no the, the um that that uh, that distinction needs to be made because that's what politicians are doing when they're saying they will not eliminate certificate of need laws now the argument that they'll give is that the hospitals come crying to them that well if we get rid of certificate of need laws we then can't take of the take care of the indigents this protects us to take care of the indigents well let me just tell you something they don't do a real good job right now of taking care of the indigent populations if you go to some of these hospitals in my area in in Atlanta you go to um, Northside Hospital or you go to uh, Wellstone or some of these other major uh, giant hospitals, they're not doing such a hot job at taking care of the indigent population. So I don't think that they should be allowed to continue doing what they're doing. They have to show better results, and they're not doing a very good job of it. One such argument does make some sense, which is the rural hospitals. Well, the rural hospitals are, are would be hurt by this, but... But we can make an exemption for um, geographic areas of less than 20,000 people um, so that in an area like that where there might be only one hospital and that hospital might be um, forced to close if there was um, uh, a, uh, a, a, a center that undercut them significantly, that, that they, they can continue their certificate of need laws. This would be a political solution, obviously, but I think that there is a place for compromise here. But certainly in urban or suburban markets, this is certificate of need has got to go, and patients need more choice. Look at the, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which which is um, a place where people, instead of going to India or going to Costa Rica for their procedures, which is what people were doing before, can take Southwest Airlines, stay in embassy suites, get a board-certified specialist to take care of their orthopedic injury or their gallbladder or their ENT procedure with a panel of doctors that are are just lining up to be participating in this center because patients are coming in and paying cash and and they're taking again the rock bottom prices five to ten times lower than they would receive in a hospital setting for the opportunity to get paid in cash and patients are the winners when this happens now Combine direct primary care with these lower-cost options, and everybody wins, except hospitals who want to keep the status quo. And when you put this together, DPC, CON repeal, tax breaks with HSAs, and letting doctors who are entrepreneurial create new solutions by working together, to create value propositions for patients, which we can't do right now because of certain laws that are in effect called Stark laws or anti-kickback laws and um, and also uh, antitrust laws preventing doctors from coming together and coming up with solutions. Um, these are the, This is the final piece that can happen at a federal level where we get repeal of some of these these um, onerous regulations and laws that were 
that were set up that were created at a very different time in our history when uh, there were some bad apples in medicine who were trying to uh, uh, take advantage of the system. Well, guess what? Today's bad apples are the hospitals, and the government has given them carte blanche to rape the system. And this has got to come to an end, especially if patients are being forced they're being compelled to take on more responsibility for their for the cost of their health care and so in order for that to happen we have to get rid of all the the uh, or most of the uh, regulations that keep doctors from collaborating to create those value propositions and these laws are outdated and um and we have to hold hospitals to the same standard that doctors are held to. And if they're not held to that same standard, then we have to give doctors the relief and the ability to create new solutions, not for themselves, but for the, for the profession and for their patients. Because on the path that we're on, mark my words, 100% of care will be given in hospitals and patients will be the losers, and it will cost everybody more money, and we're heading in the wrong trajectory. What I've laid out for you is the basic foundation, the the modification to the things that we've already talked about in the Docs for Patient Care Prescription for Health Care Reform, buying insurance across state lines, portability. But this is the important nut that needs to be cracked if we really, truly want to see a change in our healthcare system and start driving costs down. We want to see tort reform as part of that, of course. That's very important because defensive medicine drives costs up. We want to see IT reform because doctors are more concerned today about putting data into their computers than taking care of patients. And my co-host, Dr. Karuchik, talks about this all the time. So what can people do? Well, you can support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org or d4pcfoundation.org and support us financially so that we can help to bring these efforts to fruition and demand of your politicians that they make the changes both at the state and the federal level that we've talked about today, direct primary care and certificate of need repeal. These are important issues. They need to be addressed. And I hope that uh, this epiphany that I had about putting all of this together is um, has has been helpful for everybody and makes sense. And we will uh, be back to you uh, talking about some of these issues when I'm back here in the doctor's lounge again in two weeks. Next week, you join my co-host, Dr. Michael Karuchik. Thanks for being with me, and have a great week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.